Welcome to the podcast of Apostolic Lighthouse Tabernacle. You can find out more about our church at lighthouseofmaslin.com or join us for worship Sundays at 11. We pray this message will be a blessing to you. Let's give honor and glory with your heart, with your mind, with your voice to the presence of the Lord that is in this house right now. Honor and privilege to be here this morning. If you have lunch reservations someplace at noon, you probably ought to <laughs> leave so you're not late. But uh, 70 years, and I will not take. 70 days, 70 hours to uh, pay tribute to what today means to this church. But it is indeed our privilege, Christine and I, to be with you today to mark the uh, conclusion of your 70-year celebration. And... Um, Brother Murray was a larger-than-life figure in my childhood. He was my dad's favorite preacher, and my dad would travel many miles to hear Brother Murray preach. In my mind, I can still hear his voice. I can feel the touch of his hands on my young shoulders. He would pat me and call me Starkey. And uh, I remember Brother Murray very well. Bishop Harold Strange has always been my favorite preacher. He was preaching a fellowship meeting in Amsterdam, Amsterdam, Ohio, the first time I ever felt conviction as a child. There was a puddle of tears on that blue metal folding chair when I finished praying that night. I got in trouble with my uncle Hugh one time when I was preparing to uh, resign the pastor of the church in Bridgeport, and um, I was planning that we were planning the service, and he said, "Who do you want to preach?" I said, uh, "Brother Strange is my favorite preacher," and my uncle said, "Well." I suppose he uh, hoped he was at the top of my list, and uh, he wasn't. <laughs> there has only been one prophetic voice that has ministered to our family since before Christine and I were married, and that is the voice of Bishop Harold Strange. He was so kind to me when I was a young preacher. Every time I walk through your fellowship hall where the sanctuary used to be, I cringe at the memories of uh, what the precious saints had to endure as I learned my way around the pulpit at your expense. 
Bishop, you were so kind. You treated me as if I had something worthwhile. And I'll never know what you saw in me. I owe a a debt of gratitude to the precious senior saints who survived my feeble attempts. And uh, my sincere apologies to the folks who no longer are able to walk with God because of them. <laughs> Sister Sue Strange, I know you're there. There you are. You've been a very special friend to Christine and me through the years, and we love you. Um, no one in our family will forget the day you called me, Bishop, when we had received the diagnosis of our second daughter, Heidi's cancer. And you called me and you told me how to pray, what to preach, and what to do. I remember where I was and I stopped the car. I made notes of what you said. And the next Sunday, I preached what you told me to preach. I prayed the way you told me to pray. I said what you told me to say. And our daughter is now over 10 years cancer-free. To God be the glory. Pastor Nick. Kate. Clark Magnolia, you're so precious to us. Pastor Strange, your service to Section 2 and to our district is so valuable. I'm honored to be on the Ohio District Board with you. Lighthouse Tabernacle, thank you for sharing your pastor with the section and with the district. Thank you for sending Pastor Strange to uh, many foreign countries to preach, but I especially thank you for sending him to Thailand and to Brazil where we were able to minister together ministry is so powerfully anointed and relevant to the situation. Now I've said what I felt I wanted to say. Would you stand with me? And I want to read to you from the word of the Lord. I do have two messages. I will only preach one this morning. And if you all come back, I'll preach the other one tonight. But I have heard from the Lord for this weekend. Matthew 16, 16. This is the, uh, what I call the Matthew 16 discourse. Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. I say also unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give unto thee the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Romans 10, 13 for what, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
How then shall they call on him of whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Jesus, I love you today. I thank you for your presence. Lord, as I walked in the door today, I felt not only the rich, warm comfort of your presence, but I also sensed the very real faith and expectation in the saints. No one walking in here today would know what this church has been through over the course of the last week. But Lord God, I thank you for precious saints of God who are willing to lay aside their feelings, their hurt, their struggles, and come into your presence with thanksgiving and step into your courts with praise to be thankful unto you and to bless your name. Now, Lord, I ask you that you will let your anointing come upon me to preach your word to your precious people. Let there be revelation. Let there be understanding. Let there be reception, receptivity in our hearts and in our minds. In the name of Jesus, amen. The Lord bless you. You may be seated. So... Uh, just where do churches come from? I mean, how does a church occur in a particular location? Can you buy a church? I'm not talking about a piece of property or a building. I'm talking about the body of believers that make up the church. Oh, some have tried, but I'm afraid you cannot successfully purchase with money what was already purchased on Calvary by the blood of Jesus Christ. The church is solely owned by Jesus Christ, and so no, you cannot buy a church. The church belongs to Jesus Christ. It is not for sale at any price. So where do churches come from? Can you shop for a church? Some people do. But uh, the people who shop for churches aren't usually interested in paying very much. And so they end up with a bargain church experience which doesn't provide them with a life-changing, soul-saving uh, experience uh, that each of us need from a church. And before long, they become frustrated and disillusioned. Uh, so where do churches come from? Can you design or engineer a church? It has been attempted. But the results all fall far short of the church that Jesus spoke of in our text. The church against which the gates of hell cannot prevail. People who would attempt to design or engineer a church usually end up with a church that is seeker sensitive or attempts to appeal to the desires of carnal flesh and not to the will of the spirit. And so again, I would suggest to you that you cannot design or engineer a church, at least not the kind of church we find in the book of Acts, the church that Jesus said that he would build was not intended to respond to the preferences of the unchurched, I'll say that again, 
The church that Jesus said he would build was not intended to respond to the preferences of the unchurched. It was intentionally designed by God to change people's preferences about living. It was designed to uproot carnality and instill spirituality and a sensitivity that would cause people to want to please the Lord instead of demanding that God and His church would please their carnal nature. You might as well smile. It won't get much worse than that. Growing up in rural eastern Ohio, about 50 miles from here, in the 1950s permanently marked my life so much so that almost 70 years later, I'm still hopelessly mired in ideas and ideals that were part of that Western Appalachian culture. There were three grocery stores in Jewett in those days, Fred Smith's AG Associated Grocers, uh, the M&K Market, and the Proviance Grocery. None of those stores were even half the size of the average 7-Eleven, but Jewett was a small town and our needs were minimal. The first two stores were more modern than Proviance's. At Proviance's, everything was kept on shelves behind long glass display cases. And um, you would go, you would stand in the, in the middle of the store at Mr. Proviance's and you would tell them what you wanted and he or one of his three uh, Employees would go to the racks of, uh, to the shelves behind them and they would get your canned goods or they would go to the butcher case and they would get your cheese or your meat for you. But um, then the other two were self-service markets. There were always solicitous employees available, but... Um, the customers were pretty much on their own to fill their own shopping carts with their purchases. And when I'm talking shopping carts, I'm not talking Kroger-sized shopping carts. I'm talking, you think, think mini shopping carts because they were small stores with narrow aisles and not very much to buy. And uh, I think there were five carts at the M&K and there were two at Fred Smith's. I was blissfully unaware that a major retail marketing change was taking place, but I can still remember the sliding glass door over the refrigerated case where Fred Smith kept the ice cream. I did spend a lot of time staring through the glass in front of that frozen food case, especially to the right end where they kept popsicles, drumsticks, dreamsicles. Uh, some of you remember. Now, where I came from, they taught me you go to hell for lying, same as stealing. So some of you older folks need to admit that you know what language I'm speaking. On the front of that case, it proudly proclaimed self-service in faded black letters on a piece of corrugated plastic to which the handle was attached. Those were the days when all gas stations were service. For those of you who are you're not yet 50, we didn't always pump our own gas. 
The gas station attendant came out when you ran over the rubber hose and activated the bell inside. How many of you remember? Thank you. He, always a male, would ask how much we wanted, regular or high test. And while the gas pump whirled, he would raise the hood, check the oil, wash the windshield. Took a long time for self-service gas stations to catch on in our little corner of Ohio. And my own dear mother resisted pumping her own gas until the very end. She would drive further and pay more to avoid the indignity of pumping her own gas. She said it was so unladylike. There were no ATMs in those days. If you wanted cash, you went to the bank. You would cash a check or make a withdrawal. There was no thought of a self-service checkout line at the grocery store. My dear wife has adjusted quite well to charging herself for her own purchases. I'm still struggling a little, with, a little with that one. I like to be waited on, and I will tip generously for good service. But we now live in an almost entirely self-service world. If you have a question, just Google it. You can do anything for yourself if you can just find the right YouTube instructional video. You can repair your watch, fix your computer, change the brakes on your car, and probably remove your own appendix if you can just find the right instructional video online. And uh, the whole self-service model is no more apparent than it is anywhere, and, and no more apparent anywhere than it is in church. First of all, there were, first there was a 700 club, then PTL, now with the advent of high-speed internet accessibility and live streaming, a do-it-yourself church experience is as close as the touchpad on your favorite device. You can, in fact, attend three or four services every Sunday, and you will probably gravitate to the one that makes the least demands on your time, your finances, and your preferences. One of the most unfortunate consequences of the terror that has accompanied COVID-19 is the fact that good, God-fearing, precious saints of God are choosing the self-service or do-it-yourself option of serving God. Despite, and I, I'm aware, I'm aware that Philippians 2.12 says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I just want to point out to you, it does not say work out your own plan of salvation. As one woman tried to convince me years ago at Calvary when I had said something that offended her about the way her daughter was dressed, and she was letting me know that she was not going to be heeding my advice, and then she reached in her scripture grab bag and she pulled that one out. The Bible says, work out your own plan of salvation. I said, oh, no, it doesn't. I need the church body and I need to submit myself to the preaching of the word of God if I am to be saved. And I fear that we migrate to the self-service model of church at the risk of devaluing the influence of the voice of the man of God in our lives. Over and over again, God used the voice 
of the man that he had called. A direct interaction between the man and you, 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 me. To inspect, adjust, and correct our lives so, so that we would be more pleasing to the Lord. And despite the uh, fact that the Apostle Paul warned the saints in the Hebrew letter about not forsaking the assemblies of ourselves together, our world is telling us that Paul just probably did not know how fearfully dangerous COVID-19 was or would be, especially to those in my demographic, whatever your unique demographic is, you know. Old fat people. Ooh, you better watch. Young people. And on and on and on and on and on. Whatever your particular demographic is, you are the most likely to be susceptible to COVID-19. Now, until I got it, I said if I get it, I will either survive or I won't. And if I don't, I will die. And if I die, I will go to heaven. Now exactly what was the downside of COVID-19? And I made some folks at Calvary very, very nervous when I said things like that. And then I got it. My wife and I came down with COVID the very same evening. And uh, we realized when we couldn't taste or smell anything that there was something going on. And um, I still can't smell anything. I continue to follow the same protocols of hygiene that I did before. And so I'm trusting that for those of you whose sense of smell is working real well, you didn't notice when I came in. And so for the next few moments, I would like to preach to you from this subject. And if you will put it up on the screen, please. You've got to have a pastor. There's my little uh, self-service ice cream case. And as a boy, I always gravitated to the goodies uh, in the right end of the case. But the fact is, uh, I need a pastor. I need a voice of God in my life. I need an unfettered pulpit that will preach to me what thus saith the Lord if I am to be saved. The problem for the church is that God always intended for salvation to be directly and fully functional only when our service to Him included the God-called, set-apart, anointed priest who is responsible to exercise divine leadership in our lives. So regardless of the independent do-it-yourself paradigm that is sweeping our world. Church cannot effectively join the ranks of other self-service enterprises. I must come to the house of God. I must submit myself to the preaching of the man of God, a pastor who will hear from God and deliver what the Holy Ghost has given him regardless of how I feel about it. So at the risk of offending your fragile and all-important sensitivities, 
I will declare to you on the authority of God's holy word, you can't be saved without a pastor. Cannot be saved without a pastor. So, uh, to answer my previous question, where do churches come from? I must preach to you that every church I've ever met was the result of a burden of a man with a call and a mission to preach good news to a dying world. No church can exist without a pastor, a preacher of righteousness who refuses to be influenced by the unchanging winds and by the changing winds and whims of cultural and societal demands. Paul made it clear in Romans 10, the genesis of your salvation begins and is initiated by a God-called, God-sent preacher. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And so 70 years later, we stand at this juncture in the history of this church and pay tribute to three pastors who preached the word, preached us out of hell, preached us out of damnable situations, preached faith to our lives in the times of despair, declared to us God is on his throne regardless of what's happening in your life. standing here today looking around. Um, Bishop, I wish it were possible for me to pull out of these walls all of the messages that you've preached here. Because this man is a preacher's preacher. You have been fed with the finest of the wheat. Pastor Strange, you are now infusing the atmosphere and the hearts, minds, and lives and ears of your hearer with that same message of truth that your grandfather learned from Brother Murray and you learned from your grandfather because there is something about a succession of pastors who will preach the word of God to a group of faithful people. That's what makes the church what the church is designed to be. You've got to have a pastor. You've got to have someone to preach truth in the midst of our uncertainty and chaos. Salvation has everything to do with the role that sin plays in our lives, and it takes a preacher to make you aware of sin. That's part of his job. It takes a preacher to help you be cleansed from sin. It takes a preacher to help you to keep you from straying back into sin. Without the up-close personal intervention of a preacher, you cannot be saved. And so I'm just wondering right now, is there anyone here today who is thankful for that God sent this church a succession of three pastors who would preach the truth? If that's how you feel, stand to your feet, clap your hands, give glory and honor to Jesus because he loved you enough to send you a pastor who would be a preacher of righteousness.
Now, I'm not, you may be seated, I'm not accusing anyone here of being a sinner. But I must remind you that in Leviticus 13, God commanded the fire of the brazen altar would never go out. The brazen altar was where they dealt with sin. That's repentance. I need to repent every day of my life. Ask God to search me. Ask God to cleanse me. Ask God to let his blood cover anything that I may have done inadvertently or intentionally. Does the district superintendent intentionally? Well, I don't intentionally sin. I just intentionally, you know, just being me is enough to deal with. Thank God every day. You need to thank God every day. You don't have to deal with me. Because it's my responsibility to drag this carcass before the throne every day and make sure everything's all right between me and the Lord. The older I get, I think sometimes the longer that takes. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church and he said, I die daily. In the Old Testament, the saints had to keep the fire of the brazen altar burning at all times. And if the Apostle Paul had to die out to his flesh every day, then I must call every member of this church to deal with sin in your life on a daily basis. But you see, nothing makes our shortcomings. Is that, is that a better way to say sin? Our mistakes, our slip-ups, uh, uh, nothing makes it more obvious than the preaching of the word. The apostle said, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. And then he enumerated what preaching was. Reprove. Oh, I don't think I like that. Rebuke. Well, if there's going to be any rebuking done, I want to do the rebuking. I'm speaking for all of us. Exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. So there isn't a whole lot about preaching that our carnal man really gets excited about. So let's look at what God had to say about leprosy in the Old Testament. Leprosy was always used as a type of sin. The principles that apply to leprosy can all be also be instructive to us today. Leviticus 13, 1, The Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, saying, When a man shall have in his skin the skin of his flesh, a rising, a scab, a bright spot, and it be in the skin of his flesh like the plague of leprosy. Oh, and I, I, I don't want to, this is not a Bible study, and I won't stop every three words, but did you ever hear anybody say, well, I know what it looks like, but that's not what it really is. Now, if anybody else were doing this, I'd say they were, I'd say that it was wrong. But you see, this is me. God told Moses, if it just looks like leprosy. Then shall he be brought unto Aaron the priest, or unto the one of the sons, one of his sons, the priest. Priest shall look on the plague in the skin of the flesh, and when the hair of the, the plague is turned white, and the plague be in sight deeper than the skin of his flesh. Now I'm telling you, you can't do this online. 
You cannot have a leprosy examination by Zoom. In fact, I question that you can have a leprosy examination from a distance. The priest had to be able to determine whether the scab was below the surrounding skin or above the surrounding skin, and he had to get close enough to see if there was one white hair in the scab. Now, that's pretty up close and personal. Well, I'm not sure I want the preacher meddling in my business. Oh, really? And let me pick up with verse 3. It, it is a plague of leprosy. And the priest shall look on him and pronounce him unclean. Now, this is where the rubber meets the road. When the man of God looks at you and say, says, you got a problem, not my brother nor my sister, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not the preacher or the deacon, but it's me, oh Lord. You look unimpressed with my concert, so I'll, I'll keep preaching. And the priest looked at the man before him. And he said, that's leprosy. And there have been a few times in my tenure, almost 29 years at Calvary, over 40 years pastoring, dealing with people. And I've had to look at people and say, that is sin. What you are involved in is sin. And it's not an easy conversation to have. But if I'm going to be saved, if this church is going to flourish, if this church is going to be a place that can continue to proclaim the gospel, the, the, the death, the burial, the resurrection, eternal life, then we've got to have a pastor who is willing to look at us and say, I've, I've noticed something and we're going to have to deal with it because if we don't deal with it, it's going to contaminate the entire congregation. Priest shall look on him and pronounce him unclean. Now that is not a pleasant situation in which to find yourself if you're the priest. If the bright spot be white in the skin of his flesh and the sight be not deeper in the skin, the hair thereof be not turned white, then the priest shall shut, him, shut up him that hath the plague seven days. Oh wow. Who's that pastor think he is? He told my little darling that she couldn't be on the platform for the next. You were just in the book. Okay, here's the deal. You keep getting quiet, people are going to think you've got a problem. So you really need to help me preach so everybody will know it's not you. And I looked at the lady one time, and I said, your daughter will not be on our platform for the next three months, and then we're going to come back and revisit it again. What? But you see, some things need to be shut up.
so they don't spread to the congregation. And that's not a fun thing to do, Pastor, but some things, sometimes you're just going to have to shut some things up. We're going ah, to have to put some things on hold. We can't just let anything go in the house of the Lord. This is God's house. It's not my church. It's not your church. It is God's church. So, shut him up for seven days. And then we come back, and um, the priest shall look on him the seventh day. There are some problems that cannot be dealt with in one session. Priest shall look on him the seventh day, if the plague in his sight be at stay, and the spread, plague spread not to the skin, then the priest shall shut him up seven days more. Well, I'm just telling you, I don't think that's any of his business. Who does he think he is to shut me up? And the priest shall look at him again the seventh day, and behold, if the plague be somewhat dark, and the plague spread not in the skin, the priest shall pronounce him clean. We are still part of the apostolic church, and despite what they do any place else in the apostolic church, it is the voice of the man of God that says, clean, unclean, sin, or righteousness, right, wrong, heaven, hell. It is but a scab, he shall wash his clothes and shall be clean. But if the scab be spread much abroad in the skin after it has been seen to the priest for its cleansing, then shall he be seen to the priest again. And if the priest see that, behold, the scab spread in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. Now we all like to be pastor on the days when we can say clean. None of us like to be pastor on the days when we have to say unclean. But you see, the same responsibility to say clean is also the responsibility to say unclean. And whether I like to hear it or not, if there's uncleanness in me, if there's something, oh, search me, Lord, search me, Lord, shine a light from heaven on my soul. If you find anything that should not be, take it out, strengthen me. I want to be saved. I want to be right. I want to be whole. I need God to use a man to search me so I'll be saved. It goes on. The plague of leprosy in a man, verse 9. Then he shall be brought to the priest. The priest shall see him and behold, if the rising be white in the skin, as have turned the hair white, there should be quick 
uh, raw flesh and the rising is an old leprosy in the skin of the flesh and the priest shall pronounce him unclean and he shall not shut him up for he is unclean. That was when the person was pronounced unclean and there was notice served to the whole congregation. This person can is not safe for you to be around. Bishop? just a few times you have to take issue with sin because if you don't take issue with sin the entire congregation could be contaminated COVID-19 has taught us that we are contaminated by the company we keep now I'm not going to bore you anymore with this leprosy thing. I'll just tell you that if you haven't heard enough leprosy yet, read Leviticus 13. And if you don't get enough there, go ahead and read 14. It was the responsibility of the priest to identify leprosy in a person's life. The priest said what was right and what was wrong. The priest said what was appropriate and what was not appropriate. It was the priest's Opinion that counted. And so, Pastor, whether my flesh appreciates it or not, I want to stand here today on behalf of this congregation and thank you for preaching the word. And there's a note in my old notebook that Jimmy is using to preach from this morning. It was written by my wife on a yellow post-it note, and it said, when you preach the word, it's not your opinion, it's God's word. So every time you walk to the pulpit, you're not just there giving them, a, giving them your opinion. And I challenge this church, I never allow anyone to say, well, that's just what he thinks. No, 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 no. That's what God said. And the reason this church is here 70 years later is because the pulpit has never failed to preach truth and righteousness and faith and holiness and pleasing God whether my flesh liked it or not. Thank you for preaching the word. If you've never had that conversation with the man of God or with the bishop, you probably ought to have that conversation. Let him know. That even though your flesh did not appreciate it, you're thankful in your soul for someone who for 70 years has stood behind this pulpit. Thank you, Brother Murray. Thank you, Brother Bishop Strange. Thank you, Pastor Strange. I thank God for the voice, the consistent voice of truth in the pulpit that I might be saved. It was the priest's responsibility to prescribe the treatment for leprosy. After the person had obeyed the priest's command to be cleansed, only the priest could judge the person to be clean. I wish I could show you a video of your faces. In Leviticus 13, 44, God speaks about a man who had a plague in his head. I've met some of those people. Their plague was in their head. <laughs> now in chapter 14, God commissioned the priest to inspect your house. 
to see if there was a problem in your house. Because some of those houses, they moved into houses that they hadn't built and they ate of vineyards and olive yards they hadn't planted. And some of those houses had been built by idol worshipers and they concealed idols in the walls of their house. And sometimes that idol, that spirit living in the walls of that house had to be evicted. There are times when we need to go back and find out the root of the problems that we're dealing with and we need the man of God to help us evict some things from our thinking, from our way of living that will keep us from being pure and holy and upright in the sight of God. So the priest came in, and he looked at the walls. What would happen if the man of God came and looked at the walls in your house? Well, you just have to deal with it. But if that man thinks that he's going to come in here and tell me what he likes and what he doesn't, oh, whoa, 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 you missed the whole point. We're not talking about what he likes. We're talking about what God's Word says. He doesn't preach his opinion. He preaches the whole counsel of God, ratified by the word of God. And when you didn't think you were able to drag your situation out of the dust of the carpet, he preached faith to you, and you saw that you could indeed live again. He, you saw that there, would be, there was light coming tomorrow, and... Uh, Weeping may endure for a night, but you could see by the preaching of the word that joy was coming in the morning. That's the kind of a house this is. This is a house that can take you where you are and raise you to where God wants you to be. Now, there came a time when the priest just walked into your house and he says, this is not fixable. And he could command that your house be torn down and all the rubbish of your house be taken to an unclean place. Think hazardous wasteland fill. I'm telling you, I've met some folks who had stuff in their houses and in their heads that needed to be taken to a hazardous wasteland fill. That nobody would ever come in contact with that again. Now, I will be the first to admit that this is probably more personal involvement in people's lives than most of us can, would prefer. I can hear it now. Who does he think he is? This little itty-bitty spot back here on my head, now that's not leprosy, that's just me. That's the way I am. I tell you the first time I walked out in the congregation, turned around to come back to the platform, and they had a video camera on the back of my head. I realized the barber has not been kind to me. And so I, last time I was there, I told him, I said, hey, quit shaving that spot in the back. 
Because when you take the hair off, then you can see what's under the hair. And there have been times when I've noticed spots back there and stuff back there and scabs and, and, and just all kind of things. And This whole world, but give me Jesus. <laughs> wow. You, on the other hand, hard to tell what all's hiding in there. And so I come to the house of the Lord and I allow the man of God to preach the word of God. And if necessary, Dig way down deep. That's not a pet tree, is it? You can't get that online. You can't get that by Zoom. You've got to come to the house of the Lord. You've got to submit yourself to the presence of the Lord. And let the Spirit of the Lord dig down and the man of God preach the Word of God. And if there's anything in me that doesn't please you, Lord, i got to get rid of it. I want it out. There are some things I cannot have and still go to heaven. And saints of God, I want to go to heaven more than I want anything this world has to offer. I want to be pleasing in the sight of God more than anything else in all the world. And so preach to me, preach to me, preach to me. I must have the man of God to preach the word of God to examine my life so I can be pleasing to the sight of Almighty God. Let no man despise thy youth. Now, how long have you pastored here? It has aged you more than good. <laughs> because you bear the weight of the responsibility souls of God's people. And so I've had people try to tell me that what I thought was leprosy wasn't really leprosy. What I thought was sin really wasn't sin. But if you go all the way back to where we started to read, God told Moses he said, if it looks like it, avoid the very appearance of evil. I grew up in the house of my grandparents, Harper and Lottie Rose. And granddad had a healthy conviction about the appearance of evil. I won't even tell you all the stuff that could not even appear on our dining room table. But we never drank pop because pop, like beer, came in bottles. And maybe that was just Grandpa's way of saving money at the grocery store, but I'm just telling you, that thing about avoiding the very appearance of evil, 
applies today. I'm not trying to get up in your business. I'm preaching you something that came to me so strongly when I was reading the book of Leviticus a few weeks ago. For the priest, first the priest was not expected to just automatically know if a man had a problem, he was supposed to bring his problem to the priest. And the priest had to get directly involved. He could not be disinterested or remote from the problem. He was required to examine it. Our society does not want a preacher to get that involved in our lives. For the most part, we want the preacher to stay in his place. Not make us uncomfortable about our issues. We don't want to uh, a preacher to meddle in our lives. Hear me. The pastor cannot fulfill God's will for the oversight of the flock if he doesn't get involved in identifying, judging, and prescribing the remedy for sin. As taste, distasteful as it is, part of my calling is to identify sin, determine a course of treatment, and then judge as to whether the sin's been removed or not. A priest had to be involved in every step of the process. Paul wrote to Timothy, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who should judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Preach the word, pastor. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come. How many of you believe the time has come? When they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers. Now these folks have itching ears, and they turn away their ears from the truth, and they're turned to fables. At no time could the opinion or feelings of the leper or his family or his friends have any influence on the priest's decision. The only opinion that mattered was the opinion of the priest. You won't always understand the decision that the pastor makes. So just save us all a little bit of tr trouble by not saying, well, I don't understand. Well, of course you don't. It's quiet in here. God gave the priest a list of things to look for. When rendering his decision, his diagnosis, his prescription, God said what was clean and what was not clean. How the leper or his family felt about himself meant nothing. Well, you see, I went to church and he told me I was a sinner and I hurt my self-image. I just don't want to go back there anymore. You better, you better keep on coming back. Because I promise you, if you will hear the word of the preacher, if you will receive the preaching of the scripture and the word of truth, your life will be completely changed for the better. Apostle John had an injunction against loving the world, 1 John 2. It says, love not the world. 
neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The Apostle Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 6, 17, Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing. And God says, I will receive you. I will be a father unto you. Ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. And so I have a question for you today as I bring this very painful root canal of a message to a close. Is it likely that God has devalued the voice of his servant to match the preferences of the modern culture? Is it likely that God looked at us and said, well, I know it's the 21st century, and they're not going to appreciate this too much, so I'm just going to dial back on what my word says? Or is it possible that every knee is still going to bow? And every tongue is still going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Is it possible that every man will stand before the judgment seat of Christ? Is it possible that the words that this church has been proclaiming for 70 years are going to arise in judgment against this entire area and everyone who has refused to obey the word of God? church was launched on the day of Pentecost, God chose a preacher. He was not a perfect man by any stretch of the imagination. He uh, was, you know, he had problems that I can relate to. His mouth got him in trouble over and over again. At one time, he'd either, even been called Satan by the Lord of the church. And yet, God anointed him, called him, and gave him the keys. I'm not suggesting that this man was perfect. I'm not suggesting that if you wanted to, you might be able to cast aspersion at him or his family. There might be a time or two that Clark or Magnolia does something that's not angelic. Now, it'd be hard, you'd be hard-pressed to convince Grandpa of that, but but I am here to declare to you today God loved this church so much he gave you a pastor who would preach the whole counsel of God he gave you a pastor who would go before the throne until he got an answer and when he got an answer he would give you what God had given to him. That's how much God loved this church. That's how much God loved your family. That's how much God loved you. That he gave you the voice of an unfettered pulpit. And for 70 years, this church has boldly proclaimed the whole counsel of God to this entire community. I'm telling you, God loved Maslin, Ohio. And he put a church here and called three men of God over a period of 70 years. You do the math. There are some churches that change pastors like most people change socks. But it wasn't God's will 
for the church to get a new pastor every time there was somebody in the congregation thought maybe he could do a better job. It was the will of God for the man of God to preach what the whole what, what the word says and for every one of us to say, oh Lord, help me to be saved. Help me to be right. Help me to be pure. Help me to be clean. Help me, Lord, because I want to be pleasing in your sight. Remember, saints, there's only one epitaph that I want to hear after I'm gone and that is well done thou good and faithful servant it can only be said if I do well and if I'm faithful and so every decision I make I want to I, I want to hear him say that every time I make it every time I, I make a, a statement I want him I want to hear him say well done I want to be one of those servants about whom he can say well done So for 70 years, this has been a lighthouse to this entire area. When I came here as a boy, I thought this was the biggest church I knew anything about. I'm serious. If you'd have seen our church in Jewett, when we walked into that building back there and there was a lighthouse on the front, I remember the stonework on the front, and it had it, it, it had lights and the uh, kind of a crown-looking thing at the top. Am I right? I haven't, I haven't seen any pictures of it. That's just printed in my mind as a boy. And I remember that. I'm just telling you, nobody wanted to mess with Brother Murray. My dad thought he was the greatest preacher that had ever lived, and my mother said he looked like a bulldog. And both of them were probably a little bit right. And then God called the bishop, and he faithfully followed the footsteps of Brother Murray in the proclamation of apostolic truth in this community. And then God called Pastor Strange, and he is faithfully carrying on what God put in Brother Murray's heart and in the bishop's heart. I want you to know something. Your family can be saved here. Your family can, can flourish here. Your lost loved ones can be saved here. There can be signs, wonders, and miracles here because somebody has been willing to stand here and preach the truth of the Word of God. Seventy years of truth. And look what we have here today. Throughout the history of the New Testament church age, God has consistently used preachers who will preach truth. Pastors who will not allow the preferences of carnal flesh to stifle the truth of the eternally settled word of God. So the Apostle Paul said, Christ sent me not to baptize but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? As an aside, the first time I was ever asked to address the general board, I took that scripture as my text. Bad move. 
So I looked at all those bishops and elders and all the general board, and I said, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? As if there were none in the room, and they all thought they filled the bill. Hath God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save. Oh, I know. We need a preacher to save the sinners. No, that's not what that verse says. It says to save them that believe. Believers need somebody to preach truth to them so they will be saved. For the Jews require a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness. It was the preacher who preached on the day of Pentecost. Then Peter said unto them, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is to you and your children and all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And so today I stand in this pulpit to celebrate 70 years of preaching apostolic truth that you might be saved. Let's stand together. I'd like for you, Pastor, to bring the bishop and come to this pulpit right now. This pulpit has not been muzzled by the voice of the world, but this pulpit has been the place of the proclamation of apostolic truth in the face of a world that's gone dumb and numb to eternal truth. I'd like for this entire congregation, do you all, do you all come to the front? Okay, good. I go to some churches and I ask people to come to the front and they look at me like I... Anyway, would you come to the front, please? And I want us to thank these precious men of God for preaching apostolic truth when it would have perhaps been easier and more convenient to just back off a little bit. I heard you at Sister Donna Deaton's funeral and you told about the days you went, the day you went on your face over there and you said, God, please send somebody to help me. Send somebody to give me a word. Brother Billy Cole called you, and he said, we're on our way. Brother Cole and I will be there. It would have been easier, perhaps, many times to make a different decision or a different choice. But you had such allegiance to this precious book that you refused to do anything but preach the word. Pastor, you've watched the effects You've seen the people who, in a huff, walked out the door. And I promise you, there's no night lonelier than the night you go home and somebody has said, I won't be back. 
and you rack your brain thinking, what could I have said differently? What could I have done differently? And then you go back to the book and you realize it's not my it's not my opinion. It's the Word of God. This Word that's forever settled in heaven. Heaven and earth will pass away. But this Word, this Word, this book you preached, this book you preach will never pass away. And so, yes, we speak the truth in love. And we appeal to people. But in the end, I can't change one thing that's written. You can't change one thing that's written, Pastor. You can't change one thing that's written. We will all stand before God give an account of every time I've had an opportunity to preach life. I'll give an account for every time I had an opportunity to preach hope. For every time I had an opportunity to preach faith. For every time I had an opportunity to look into this precious book. So son, the hand of God is on You are thankful to the Lord for the, for the heritage that God has given this church and the leadership that this church has today. Would you lift your voice, clap your hands, give a shout of thanksgiving. thank the precious people of this church. This church has a reputation for being a strong church. And when other churches were not holding on, this church held on. And I walked in this morning. What a beautiful facility. And you keep it so well. I looked at the sign out there in the where I parked my car. You look like you're, you're intending for people to come. I look at this lot there, the, the vacant lot. The fence you put around it, the sign you've got there. God is going to honor your faith and your vision. And God is going to honor your sacrifice and your refusing to proclaim anything but apostolic truth. I feel victory in this house. I feel victory in this house. Pray in the Holy Ghost, saints. Lift your voice. Pray in the Holy Ghost.
Give glory and honor to the Lord and thank Him for 70 years of apostolic truth, a foundation that is unshakable, a structure that is fully prepared for the future. That's it, let that flow, let that river flow. Some of you need to let that river flow from deep inside you. Don't be, a, don't be in any way intimidated by those around you. Ayedolo shatala ba tebiyato lebiyata. 